Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound, and you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care, a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Celebrate this July 4th with a special presentation of A Capital Fourth. Join your host, Vanessa Williams, with performances from Sea to Shining Sea, starring Jimmy Buffett, Gladys Knight, Alan Jackson, Cynthia Erivo, Pentatonix, Renee Fleming, Train, Jennifer Nettles, Mickey Guyton, Jimmy Allen, Ali'i Cravalho, Laura Osnes, Ali Stroker, and the greatest live fireworks display in the USA. It's A Capital Fourth, sponsored by the Boeing Company and American Airlines, Sunday, July 4th, 8, 7 Central. Only on PBS. Hello, my name is Dave Hanready, and there will be no encore. God damn, there will be no encore. Technology issues be damned. Craig and I are having a fucking nightmare with this setup. Adam takes one week off. It all falls to hell. This is episode 238 of the No Encore Music Podcast on the Headstuff Podcast Network. The world is absolutely grim. I don't want to do a preamble about it. Craig, shall we just jump straight into things or how are you feeling? Can I let out a long, distressed, like, yell just before we dive into the news? Do you think the listener would, that would put them off? How about the Patreon subscribers? Could save it for a bonus episode of me just like, yelling yeah. for two minutes. As, as long as it's not like high-pitched crazy. If you're going for a more kind of sultry ASMR thing, go for okay, it. Okay, okay. This is your time. Oh, <laughs> News. <laughs> That's fair. Well, actually, you know what? I, I, I jumped the gun as I want to do. I should mention on this episode of No Encore, we'll be reviewing the brand new album from Future Islands. It's out about a week, so you've had time to listen to that one. We will be having our top five this week, all about live performances, and we'll get into the parameters, but all that later on. Uh, of course, I should also mention that uh, a couple of days before this show dropped, we put out our track by track, our latest track by track episode with Denise, Chyla, and Merle. Mm. It's an epic 90 minute affair talking every single song on debut mixtape Go Bravely. 
Uh, feedback so far for these track by track episodes has been absolutely great. So yeah. if you haven't checked out any of those, we've got Pillow Queens, Alvaretti, Denise Child, and Merley. There's another one coming next week. I'm going to keep that one as a big mystery surprise if I haven't already said who it is just yet. Because nice. uh, why not? You know, <laughs> we need some mystery in our lives. And yeah, uh, great episodes. I really, really love doing them. Also, people Highly face to face, to check them out. which is nice and kind of a novelty these days. <laughs> And probably will be even more yeah. so for the coming weeks. So, yeah. I think so, yeah. Yeah. In fairness, recorded safely, it should be noted yeah. in, in like proper Face to sterilized environments. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Which is, I think, Christopher's seventh studio <laughs> album, I believe. But I mean, yeah, it, they're really, really fun to do. Check them all out. Um, if you also want to check out our Patreon page, patreon.com slash noencore, uh, we put out a 101 song disco playlist, oh. mostly curated, almost entirely curated by Sonic Architect Adam, who put so much hard work into it that he's taken this week off. I miss him already. Yeah, me too. He's having a nice lie down at the moment, um, which I might do um, maybe halfway through the show if I get the mic angles just right. We'll see how the news goes. What do you reckon? <laughs> after last week's shoe heroics in which you fucking doubled over in the back of your chair anything is possible as for the news uh, we're we're very stressed out today Craig but we're perhaps not as stressed out as Elton John who's back in the news I guess kind of updating a story we had last week Rod Stewart was talking about the the fact that the two legends had fallen out Um, apparently Elton John I don't know if this is like a new chapter in a book that's been out for a while but uh, The Sun the worst newspaper in the entire world never ever buy it have been serialising a new chapter from his autobiography which is simply called Me, in uh, which he allegedly <laughs> allegedly addresses. Go on. I was going to say, like, if you didn't tell me it was uh, like Elton John's um, book, I, I'm pretty sure I would have guessed it was just from that title. Do you know what I mean? Like, it's, <laughs> yes. uh, if you were like, yeah, it's a book called Me, it's a memoir. Who is it? Yeah, Elton. I'm a big fan of terrible autobiography, celebrity autobiography titles like Ashley Cole. His one is called My Defense, which is <laughs> fucking good. outrageous. And also he needs to defend himself a bit. So, you know, it doubles up quite nicely. <laughs> oh, it works. Yeah, it, it's got levels. Yeah, I remember also the unofficial ones. I worked in a bookstore before and there was one about Joe Cole. It was called Cole Play. And there was one of Wayne Rooney, and it was called Rooney Tunes. So, it, you know, there's sky's the limit. Rooney really Tunes? Things. Was that, that was specifically music-based, was it? Was it him in an interview with, I don't know, I, Philip Glass? I or? judged that book. I judged that book by its cover. I didn't go anywhere near fair, it. Fair. Um, I le- left it to rot on the shelf, as we all will one day. So essentially, <laughs> Elton John and Rod Stewart will probably go before us, though. That's how aging Jesus. works. Yeah, but these fair. two. I, just facts, <laughs> baby. I'm just speaking. <laughs> I'm just speaking truth to power, Craig. Um, so essentially, it's a brand new chapter from the paperback version of his autobiography, which was released earlier this week. A good one for uh, for an airport, if you're going anywhere these days. Uh, Elton John allegedly says, I certainly didn't feel like I needed a lecture on the feral spirit of rock and roll from someone who spent most of the last decade crooning his way through the great American songbook and have yourself a merry little Christmas. What's more, I thought he had a fucking cheek complaining about me promoting a tour while he was sat on a television show promoting his his own tour yeah and it's not looking good man i mean like like essentially elton john said that he did reach out to rod stewart because rod stewart's claim of course is that he hasn't heard from elton john uh, El- elton john apparently said that they'd known each other for far too long to fall out over something like this which seems like a diplomatic thing to do however rod's manager reportedly told elton john that he was unable to speak because he was on constant vocal rest between touring now that's that's one hell of a way to I, ignore somebody yeah i initially read that as a constant vowel rest and i was just like oh so he can like he can use consonants like he just has to have very terse conversations with minimal vowel play 
I mean, uh, vowel play might have been a better <laughs> Joe Cole autobiography or something, maybe. But I think it's one of those Carl things Vorderman's where you know, one, maybe I don't know. <laughs> these two. <laughs> I'm feeling a bit delirious. By I know. Way, I know. We're going there. Yeah, like... lightheaded. <laughs> Will these two ever patch, this... up, patch things up? I, I'm worried about them. This could be a this could be a car crash in an episode. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, like. I've been known to go on constant vocal rest between no encores. You know, all the times when you call my phone, Craig, and yeah. I'm just like, no, text only, please, pal. <laughs> uh, an album from this year that I know that you enjoyed, Flaming Lips, American Head. You said on the episode when we had Royal Yellow on, you said you were quite surprised. There was some of their best work in a long time. Yeah, yeah. Well, they're trying to innovate things once again, Craig. What's going on in the land of Wayne Coyne? Yeah, well, they're kind of going backwards for them to bring the people forward. So they, they're they renowned over the years for their live performances where Wayne Coyne appears in a giant space bubble. And now he's kind of turned to the audience and said, if you all get in space bubbles, we can have a show because it's safe, which is very true. Um, so they've done just that. Um it seems like a very good idea to me. I know they're they're getting quite a lot of ribbing on the likes of Twitter and Wayne Coyne probably deserves it. But yeah, they've they've got a full series of um fully bubbled concerts that they're planning in their native Oklahoma City. Um Coyne was talking to Brooklyn Vegan <laughs> because of course he he was. Uh he was like, Yeah, sorry, I, I mean it seems absurd, but we at first were just doing it as not a joke, but just as kind of a funny thing, and now it's becoming kind of serious and real starting to get ready to do an actual show where, yeah, there's three people in each of the space bubbles and we play. Um, and yeah, they're, they're trying to get a big audience in there each time. I didn't initially realise it was three people um, per space bubble, which makes me a bit more concerned about the whole thing. Not because of COVID, but because of like a full Flaming Lips show in a bubble, in a sealed off bubble with two other people. Um, when does the oxygen run out? When does it just fill up with bodily odours? When does it stop being enjoyable? Song three? <laughs> uh, Wayne Coyne reckons that you get about a good two hours before those kind of concerns need to really come to fruition. Okay. If anyone hasn't seen this image before, if you've ever seen any kind of concert photographs of Flame and Lips, they've been doing this for a long time. I remember they played Forbidden Fruit and Kilmainham. It's got to be like seven or eight years ago now. And Wayne Coyne was doing the running over the audience in this giant bubble thing. Um, but yeah, to put the audience in this thing, I've seen some of the footage. They did one of these gigs during the week and... It looks simultaneously kind of fun, like, you know, like a stag party kind of fun, which I know you're very familiar with, but at the same time, (laughs) no stag parties for you for a while, pal, (laughs) but like, essentially, it's, um, which, by the way, is a blessing in disguise. Oh, very much so. I'm relieved. There's a lot of kind of, um, (laughs) a lot of banterific commitments that I haven't had to fulfill this, uh, this year, which has been a blessed relief. How are you going to do your 12 pubs with your flashy suits? That's out the window as well, I would suggest. No, yeah. Yeah, I don't know. The 12 bubbles of drinking a six-pack in isolation, I don't know. That's the most depressing <laughs> sentence that has ever been ushered, <laughs> ushered on this show. Um, I don't know how safe this is. It looks like a bit of fun, but I think it is... Like, you ju- like he himself has said, look... You know, we don't want this to be like that Smash Mouth concert, which, by the way, I love that that's like now that's the, an infamous. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's the reference <laughs> <new> point. level. <laughs> that's the watermark. Uh, we, want, we, we want this to be safe and a great experience. Those are the things that the venue is letting us set up and we can do. The part about playing in the bubble, we already have that down. It's how we get the crowd in and out without cross-contamination we need to figure out. But they're giving us a few weeks in this venue to figure it out. I mean, it's just very interesting that like at a time when the world is at a standstill and everything is horrible and it's a living nightmare 
that Wayne Coyne is still being allowed to do mad <laughs> shit like this? You'd think people would be like, uh, no, you're not putting people in giant fucking plastic bubbles when we don't even know like what going to the shop means for us. But they're like, no, ju- play on, Wayne. It's, a, it's it. kind of a step in the right direction, right? I mean, it's not, it's not as bad as that time he had a, a, an old grenade that he was trying to bring through an airport. Do you remember that? A fan gave him a decommissioned grenade and he just like had it in his hand luggage. He's like, what? I didn't realize this was a problem. The wacky world of Wayne Coyne. New album's good though. I once went uh, through an airport not realizing I had a like a corkscrew in my bag, which had like a knife, uh, like a pen right. knife, kind oh, of like geez. corkscrew yeah, thing. Yeah. I had that. I had that in like the side pocket of one of my bags. Can't remember when or why or how it ended up there. It was probably there for months at a time. And as I was going through the airport and I was just like going through like customs or something. Um, a security guard took it out of the bag and looked at me and I was like I did not know that was there Paul. I was just like I'm not trying to cause an international incident or anything um, I- I'm Irish you know I was just like <laughs> lovable Irish rogue and was he, uh, he just, pretty considerate? He just gave me a look. Oh, and that was no, it. Yeah, he just gave me like a look, you know. Um, I feel like he was like, it's no problem, middle class white man. Yeah, Keep going. Yeah. <laughs> like, I get very paranoid going through any airports just in terms of like, even like amounts of liquid. Like if you've got some like small body gel that should be fine. I'm like, oh Jesus, what if it's slightly over? So yeah, um, a knife would be totally freaky for me. I think knives are generally quite freakish items, depending on their usage thereof. Sure. Um, a man who is all doing some freaky stuff, I suppose, depending on where you, you land on this one, is Blink-182 legend Tom DeLonge, who is turning filmmaker, and he's making a film about science fiction, about UFOs. We've talked to death, I think, about Tom DeLonge's affinity for the extraterrestrial. But uh, he's putting together a proper film. Um, the film, I believe, is... Where is the name of this? Monsters of California. Yeah, me for the month. You can tell just how... um it's a film in which uh uh, starship troopers legend casper van dien who played uh johnny rico i think in that movie is uh in the cast alongside richard kind you might know from shows like spin city and kirby enthusiasm that's where the cast ends in terms of any kind of recognition (laughs) for me um it's about a group of derelict teenage friends whose investigation into paranormal phenomena lead them to a high-level government cover-up tom DeLong has put out a statement of his own saying, I've been playing this story in my dreams for decades. It represents all aspects of my strange existence, including growing up in San Diego suburbia as a disaffected teenage skateboarder. I had a tight tribe of friends who never missed an opportunity to piss people off and made me laugh so hard I would cry. The camaraderie, curiosity, angst and irreverence is everything that led me to Blink-182. And this story is layered with my obsession with the tightly blurred lines between science and science fiction. Production's underway, no release timeline yet. Don't know if it's going to be challenging the likes of June or No Time to Die when they come back into cinema mm. focus. But um, contender, do you have any interest in this whatsoever? As someone who never goes to the cinema anyway, <laughs> yeah, kind of morbidly, I do. I like I like the phrase tightly blurred lines. I'm <laughs> just kind of like I don't know, self defeating. Uh, I'm kind of intrigued um, because it says it's the follow up to his award winning animated short film Poet Anderson. Now I don't know. What kind of awards that one? Was it like legit legit stuff or was it, I don't know, like the conspiracy subreddit just dishing out awards? Um, but I remember him saying a couple of years ago that the reason that um, the powers that be have been giving him so much information is they see him as the lightning rod to really um, get the people on side through his like um, vast knowledge of entertainment. And he was going. He was the per- he was the person out of everyone that could create this 
intriguing content that was going to get people amenable to the ideas of aliens and blah blah blah. He's essentially like Fox Mulder from the X-Files mixed with Walt Disney. That was what he was saying he was. He was like going to be this Fengali and I didn't see it. Um, but everything else he said that's quite outlandish is kind of coming true. And in 2020, this could be an Oscar winner. I, d- I just don't know anymore. I'm so beaten down. I'm like, I'm so ghastly by Tom DeLonge and the year that uh, I'm in. I'll watch it. Of course, there was a Tom DeLonge on Bake Off. I don't watch Bake Off. And I've all mentions of it muted from Twitter, <laughs> which I'm also trying to actively detox from at the moment. But you did tag me in recently, Craig. It was um, yeah. For anyone who didn't see this, what happened there? It was the perfect screenshot of um, one of the contestants' name is Dave. and he it was um it was you had to make i think some form of a cake in the shape of a bust of a cake bust of one of your heroes and this dave fella's hero remained um tom delong i'm not sure how up to speed he is with his current um dalliances and stuff it looked pretty good i must say but there was a perfect screen of it like just kind of out of context on display it looked exactly like tom delong along with sideways baseball cap and it just said (laughs) dave's tom delong cake it was fucking perfect so i had to grab it but yeah it looked tasty as well Oh, I mean, even even the tweet you put out, it contained a rare Craig exclamation mark. I was like, he's loving this. He's having a great time. And I'm being dragged into this world. Um, have you been keeping up with the X-Files, by the way, seeing as you mentioned it? Or yeah. has, your, has your spirit been broken on that one as well? No, I'm still enjoying it. I've reached the point of the first film, the first feature film, which I'd never seen. Um, so I have that downloaded. I haven't got around to watching it, but I can't really continue until I do. So... That might be a weekend job. But I, I do realise this is the point where I think the first film is quite good and then it goes back to the series and there's a very rapid tail off and Duchovny's just like, I'm out of here. <laughs> and like, they get in like Robert Patrick as the new, you know, it just, it goes completely off the rails. So I think I've I've squeezed the kind of, the prime X-Files-ness out of it. Well, you got to keep going. You got to commit oh, yeah. to the things that we love. To the death. Yeah, I mean like, you got, you got to the death. <laughs> yeah, I mean like... <laughs> Even the Purdy received the revival from a couple of years ago, I will be watching. <laughs> to the death, old chap. I feel like ultimately, you know, you gotta you gotta go hard for the things that you love. Yes. For example, rapper who has uh, sorry, I called him rapper. That's not his name. What the fuck? I'm I okay. I'm just gonna. His I'm name gonna is be Parappa the rapper. Yes, he's back. <laughs> I'm. I'm so sick of fucking Zoom and Skype that we're using now and this remote thing. I and I try and make it sound like this winning combination, but like... Whew. Are we trying? <laughs> I think this is pretty unvarnished oh. and I think that's what the listener wants. We're all in the same boat. I think so. I just feel like, oh man, this is this is killing me. I had like my therapy session. I do my therapy sessions on Zoom yeah. and today my therapy session was like cancelled like almost not even the last minute in like at the start of the session there was a like a, a situation and that's fine uh, but ultimately it was just like yeah no problem i don't think i can do this anymore but, but who am i talking to i'm talking to a man who works in the advertising industry who lives on zoom all day how the fuck do you do it i don't get it yeah um, i'm not enjoying the tiny like the tiny version of myself in the corner of every conversation i have in life these days i just i've seen my own face far too much um i'm not enjoying it dave the you mentioned cancels there the one highlight of maybe the autumn for me has been my debit card was cancelled it wasn't cancelled it just went out of date so i had to get a new one and obviously it has a different expiration date the new one so it wiped out like loads of my subscriptions automatically and 
it was the best thing that's happened to me. It was such a relief because long-time listeners of the show will know that I'm a sucker for like a free trial and then forgetting to cancel, not being able to cancel. And I was just getting these emails out of nowhere from like the New York Times. I got one from Stitcher today, which I didn't even know was still a thing, saying, yeah, we can't we can't <laughs> seem to uh, get your card to work. Uh, your subscription's being cancelled. And it's great. They're all gone. <laughs> I just changed the details on like the three subscriptions I need and everything else is all gone. It's so good. <laughs> Sorry for that wow. detour. Well, I mean, yeah. if, if, no, no, that's totally fine. If Craig could subscribe to things, he would certainly hit up patreon.com slash no encore, yes. quick sharp, and he'd help us out, wouldn't you, Craig? I, but like, I, I'm disappointed that it happened this way, by the way. I was hoping it would happen in like some kind of restaurant with like a snooty maitre d' cutting it up in, with a scissors <laughs> in front of you or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, it would be the way to do it. Which is the actual dream. The point is, listener, what I'm getting at here is we're very stressed out, but we love you so much for sticking with the show. Yeah. I just want to get back to a studio, but I don't know. Like, we'll see what happens. The point is, the point is this, Craig, a man, a rapper, a former rapper by the name of Logic. This isn't even a good fucking story. Like, it, uh, it's he quirky. spent 220. <laughs> we'll get a few chuckles. <laughs> he, he spent, he's, wait, wait, wait for it, folks. He spent $226,000 on a rare Pokemon card, a first edition Charizard? Are you, is that the thing? I, I never watched Pokemon. Yeah, it was the most guy? evolved form of um, Charmander, I believe. It was the third iteration. And I, I feel like I had this card. I definitely didn't, if it's that rare. But I think I had a Charizard. This is probably a proper, like, oh yeah, it's first edition, obviously. But I definitely had a Charizard. And I probably traded it in, like, sixth class for something rubbish, like a Bulbasaur or whatever that was. But, um... Yeah, this is just like society regressing completely, isn't it? It's just uh, Logan Paul apparently paid two hundred sixteen thousand quid for a base set booster box. Um, what the fuck is that, by the way? I don't even know what that means. I think it's I just a starter pack, like... isn't it? I think that's basically okay. just it. It's it's like if you want to get into Pokemon, here was the thing you got, where it probably gives you like twenty cards. I don't know. I'm just making this up, but I assume so. I'm 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 scared at this point to go on like StockX and see how much Polly Pockets are because. Yeah, it's just the world of collectibles. I don't have anything, uh, to, start- <laughs> anything to follow <laughs> on in that sentence. <laughs> I'm just putting it out there. <laughs> I've started. I've started collecting vinyl like a true hipster who doesn't have a proper record player. Yeah, um, we're all on board. Apparently, uh, what what makes this card so rare is that it's shadowless, meaning the typical shadow on the right. I'm fuck this story. Uh, something that's actually pretty good, right? Yeah. <laughs> FKA Twigs has apparently recorded a brand new album while in quarantine. She did a new interview and she said that she made a whole album. I just decided one day it was kind of maybe one third of the way through, and I said, you know what? I'm just going to make an album, and I went and I did that, and it was amazing because I worked predominantly with an amazing artist and producer called El Guincho and I did the whole thing with pretty much all the collaborators over FaceTime mm. uh, apparently uh, Twigs is currently finishing the album there's no mention of a title or a release date of course but she said that the remote uh, process actually worked for her surprisingly she worked with people that she never met in real life and it all went very very smoothly which is interesting yeah. considering that like Magdalene was our album of last year so we welcomed the idea of a new album hope it isn't about quarantine but I guess we'll see yeah, I think she'll do something a bit more interesting and obtuse, possibly. I remember our end of year episode where we kind of crowned Magdalene and we were saying, you know, it's been a tough year. <laughs> Next year is going to be grand. Like, this was, <laughs> it can't get much worse than this. And it was like quite emotional. We're like, 
along with Dahi, we were just like um, going, okay, onwards and upwards, straight into 2020. Yeah, I don't know. I guess one more while we're at it. Ariana Grande tweeted out of nowhere during the week and said, I can't wait to share my album with you this month. So there's three Fridays left, including the one that this podcast drops on. Hell of a time to announce a brand new pop album. But I guess, you know, if you're you're an artist of this nature, Taylor Swift already did it this year. It is possible. You're not going to... You know, you're not going to, like, need the massive campaign if the work's already kind of done. My question, though, Craig, is given how often we've discussed Ariana Grande, given the fact that I think she definitely hit an oversaturation point in the last couple of years, are you hyped at all? Are you curious? Is this something you don't want? Merely I don't curious. I did, I did think she needed to maybe, um, this sounds harsher than it actually is, but kind of go away for a while and just um, reconsider her approach and where she was going with her sound and... I think we just felt that, you know, there were some good songs on her her latest material, but it got very almost soap opera-y and there was, it just felt like she had to constantly comment on her own life and it became weirdly like aligned with Twitter conversations and it was, it was a bit much. But I think, yeah, the context of now, it feels like a lot longer has passed. So I kind of welcome it at this point. Um, yeah, I wonder which Friday she will pick. Maybe the closest to Halloween. I don't know. She seems like a Halloween fan to me. She's in Aliens as well, right? I th- I, I I think so. I, I haven't got my Ariana Grande um, Wikipedia page <laughs> open in front of me. Um, Your the context of now, though, is a very interesting phrase. It does sound like kind of a self-help thing. I could see you like Dr. Craig Fitzpatrick, you know? Well, I could see me reading it. I don't know about offering it. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't know. I mean, like, I, th- I think it, it's good to have variety. It's good to have options. And on the Head Stuff Podcast Network, there are many, many shows. Um, there are other podcasters who may well themselves be spiraling into burnout right before your very ears. Like, I don't know, this one? What is Dubland? We have to explain what Dubland is. The Dubland podcast is an eternally pregnant woman. Um, I mean, I've been pregnant three times. Yeah, but you've been pregnant since I met you. Right, okay. Hanging out with a neurotic middle-aged toddler mm-hmm. and the way that those two people from very opposing sides of the... Um, World, see the see the world around them. Is that it? Is I think that a good it. explanation? Well, of that's it? a very good explanation. Uh, you can listen on Spotify. You can listen on iTunes. You can listen on the Headstuff Podcast Network. We're on the Headstuff Podcast Network. Up your Dublin podcast. Up your ear holes. Tremendous stuff indeed. I am sure. I'm also sure that it is time for an album review. Future Islands have returned. The album is called As Long As You Are. They've been around for a few years now. I mean, like I've got a bit of a bit of a hang up on this band, which I'll get into. But for now, this song is called For Sure. Future Islands there, bringing their signature synth-pop sadness to the world. Craig Fitzpatrick, for anyone who doesn't know, who are these lads? Yeah, Future Islands, um, Baltimore-based, I believe, four-piece. This is their sixth album of uh, kind of buoyant synth-pop. 
I probably first encountered him voice first, like that distinctive voice belonging to Samuel T. Herring. Um, also a man of distinctive dance, which I'm sure we'll touch on. Um, the album would have been in Evening Air around about 2010, and the place was Hot Press. It was through the walls of Hot Press, the art department where our pal Andrew Duffy was playing them. Um, that was kind of a bit of a contact high. I was intrigued. Um, through a wall, it sounded like this weird sea shanty pirate music because of the voice. Um, on closer inspection, it became clear that what they were playing was more orthodox, kind of new order, indebted, new wavy, concise, melodic, nice grooves and hooks. And then, of course, the arresting presence in Herring. And that blueprint has seen them true, um, done them very well. I've liked most of what they've put out. I think On the Water might have been my highlight, along with Balance, which I think is the best song they've done. Career-wise, the best thing they've done is, of course, appear on Letterman, um, where they gave an incredible performance of Seasons, particularly Samuel T. Herring, um, where we've all seen it. He's, you know, kind of dad at the wedding, also Shakespearean doomed lover, like crooning while he rends his garments and like a dose of like death metal as well. Um, so that kind of really um, got the public's interest. And The Farfield Followed, which we reviewed on this show, 2017. We were kind of complimentary on here. There's lots of like anthems, um, some sonic splashes of something different. It was kind of a logical follow-up to me. Plenty of fan favourites, I thought. So yeah, I enjoyed that record. So I was kind of bemused by some of the conversation around this record. Because the narrative seems to be that As Long As You Are is um, the band getting back in touch with their roots, maybe. Um, Samuel T. Herring going out on a limb and the last album being dubbed an artistic betrayal in some quarters. Like The Guardian's headline um, for a recent interview was We Lost Ourselves, Future Islands, the synth-pop band who nearly blew it. And yeah, there's quotes from um, Samuel T. Herring saying that he was the record was condescending because he wasn't honest in his writing and they explained how they rushed the release um, to coincide with their Coachella show. Um, which their bassist William Cashian said was fucking embarrassing. Um, putting the deadline on it was bullshit. This time they took their time, uh, tapped back into what they do well, um, allowing, I guess, Samuel T. Herring to ostensibly open up a bit more, get a bit more sensitive. And yeah, I mean, it sounds quite familiar to my ears. So I'm wondering, like, with this narrative in place, like, have they regained what they were in danger of losing or blowing um, on as long as you are? Or is that even the right question? Does that make sense to you? <laughs> <laughs> I I don't think they've regained anything. I don't yeah. think they've really lost anything. <laughs> like, my, my hang-up with Future Islands is, and I should preface by saying that I think that they make very good music. And the songs that you, ma- you mentioned there, like, you know, um, On the Water and Balance in particular, yeah. are phenomenal. Uh, I, of course, also went back to, and we will be discussing when we get to the top five again, the infamous Letterman viral breakout performance. I mean, like, I remember that at the time. And I remember it being like this just fucking chaotic thing. And it really was. I mean, like, it's kind of a, like, those examples don't happen terribly yeah, often. Yeah, it's really old-fashioned too often. yeah. In, very much so, yeah. Like, like in, in, in the tens, and certainly not in the last, like, kind of five to six years. And to be fair, it should be said as well that for all the, you know, the bluster about that, and even if you go on to Spotify, like Seasons is, of course, the most popular song. It has like 75 million plays. I do think that's an amazing song. Like, yeah. I think, you know, like strip away all that kind of attached hype and whatever. I think it's a gorgeous, gorgeous, heartbroken love song. And Simon T. Herring can do those. He can do them very, very well. And there's definitely some shining examples on here as well. There were some shining examples on the far field. But my hang up, my aforementioned hang up is, and I know that this is like a fucking, it's a bit of a doomed thing to throw on anybody. But like, let me ask you this. 
if you've heard one Future Islands album, have you heard them all? Because I'm starting to think that might be the case. Yeah. Um, I was going to make the point that for all the narrative around the album and what the band are saying, and obviously journalists need to find an angle, if you did like a blind test with this album and most of their other work, would you be able to tell which was which in the discography? Um, you might from some like standout gems, but yeah, sonically, I think, and musically, um, the music going on here feels like their safety net. And I think them talking about the last album being like condescending and like, you know, nearly the end of the band. Of course, I'm sure if you were there in the recording studio at the time with all the kind of emotion and problems and, you know, personal stuff that goes along with that, I'm sure that's what they're experiencing. But on the record, uh, compared to this, it really is kind of like, you know, the, the narcissism of small differences. Do you know what I mean? Because it sounds quite similar. I think they take less ri- risks sonically this time out. They kind of lean back on that, um, what they called their strut tempo. Their drummer, Michael Larry, uh, not that one, um, <laughs> called strut tempo. And yeah, most of the songs on here, bar one or two exceptions where they go a bit like The Cure, have that strut tempo. And I do think there's there's moments where Herring goes out on a musical limb um, in terms of what he's singing about. Um, and there's songs, you know, dealing with body image issues, kind of fragile masculinity and just some just some nice lyrics there. But I think as bands leave them out there, like I was looking at one of the singles for, for sure. They performed that on Stephen Colbert the last week or two. And I just checked it out um, this week. And yeah, like Herring's doing the moves. And at first blush, you're like, okay, it's kind of a bit vaudevillian now or like performative. But actually, I don't think like his expressiveness is the tiresome thing. It's the context of it being the same. It's the fact that he's when he's doing that bop, he's bopping to the same beat from the band who are static, just learning no real new tricks. And, you know, he's doing the very expansive kind of hand gestures of like all he surveys and getting really emotional. And I would love to see that in the context of a different musical palette, just switching it up. But there's not a lot of that here, is there? Not really. And it's almost like, you know, it's almost like uh, if I can if I can do something I've never done before, Greg, and if I could compare this to a professional wrestling <laughs> oh, uh, thing, do. I would suggest that. <laughs> I would suggest that, like, this is like w- 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 like the legendary matches of the indies in the 2000s. Like, you know, if it was like CM Punk and Samoa Joe or Coca Banner or whoever, and, like, they would have a match, and that match could be taken around the entire country of America and to Europe, I guess, if, if indies were thriving then, although it took longer for that. But we won't get into that, Craig. That, that is for a wrestling podcast, which is which this isn't. But I will suggest that like you can market something and you can kind of bring it, you can, you can make it fresh for like new audiences and bring it to new stages and do new things with it. But it is a repetition, right? It is a cycle. And with Future Islands, I kind of feel like, well, they've got a pretty damn good template, right? They, yeah. Like, you know, it's very much while my synthesizer gently weeps and you've got this kind of like wonderful, you know, uh, you mentioned strut tempo, like like the, the drums can be very kind of driven and like mannered in a way, kind of like a like national-esque. Like this is a band that, you know, I, I think they are kind of musical bedfellows with the national to a degree. Certainly in the frontman stakes, both Matt Berninger and Simon T. Herring have managed to carve out, um, you know, modern day iconicism for themselves in different ways. Um, and you're, you know, but Matt Berninger can fucking go hell for leather too on stage, you know, and they can be very soulful and they do appeal to uh, bruised men, I believe in particular, you know, and kind of like uh, maybe like lovelorn couples and that kind of stuff. Craig <laughs> is smiling because I use the phrase bruised men. We're both it's of those things. On the inside. <laughs> Bruce men we that are a lovelorn are. couple. <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> we could always update the new encore uh, like strapline, I guess, with, the, <laughs> yeah, with, I think with that terminology. But I think ultimately it's a thing where like it's like cool. I mean, you can you can you can get a good little "This Is Future Islands" on Spotify going, you know. But it is kind of the same. It's diminishing returns. I think it's like the more you hear of this band, the less interesting that they are. And yeah, I, I kind of feel sorry for Samuel Zaring in that sense. Because like, I, I haven't checked in on recent live performances. I didn't know he was still doing the thing. Because I remember like, you know, when they announced, I think, some Vicar Street shows shortly after that viral uh, sensation breakout. And I'm sure this mirrored a pattern across the world. Those shows would sell out in seconds because people were like, I want to see the guy doing the yeah. funny dancing. Yeah. And I'm like, that becomes like, you know, the Bart Simpson thing. And it's like, I don't know how... You know, like, like that's kind of depressing in its own way, but I guess, like, that's what he does. That's kind of natural showing that he is, fair enough. But it becomes a bit just paint-by-numbers in a weird, fucked-up art installation way, especially, as you say, when, like... Because one thing that is very interesting to look back on when you go back to that Letterman performance is the other three lads in the band couldn't be more removed from what he is yes. doing. They are so, like, stock-still. They're barely paying attention to what he's doing. They're doing their parts very well. But there's almost a sense of, like... Are, like you could be forgiven for being like, what did they know he was going to do this? Obviously they did, and they're probably just like, well, that's what he does. But like, it it just feels a bit like, uh, I mean, there's not much of a union here. And then yeah, so what you're getting on this record is you're getting very mannerly, well painted affairs, and there are some highlights for sure. I think it starts well. I think it ends very well. I think the last track, "Hit the Coast," is actually a beautiful little. And coda. That, that feels a bit more expansive, doesn't it? It's it's this weird thing where it feels like that could be opening a, a more daring record. But it's the closer and then it kind of abruptly stops with this tape sound and it sounds like they're almost signifies that they're going back into their like college rock, you know, um, box a little bit. They just pull back. I, I want more of that kind of thing. Yeah. It felt like a bonus track in a way. It felt like a strange kind of add on because like Thrill, which comes before it, is a natural finisher. But then Hit the Coast is kind of like, oh, it's like I've downloaded a new level or something. And this is interesting. <laughs> but the more I spent, the more the more time I spent with this one, the more I was like. I just can't graft onto this. I've heard it before. Uh, it's been nice to revisit Future Islands in general um, and like some of those aforementioned songs, which are really, really good. But I don't know. I mean, like I, this isn't like this isn't unique to this kind of a band. I mean, if you look at like Slayer, Metallica, whoever, a lot of bands just make the same album over and over again. And if you're a fan um, and maybe you swallow it up and maybe there are bands that I do that with as well. But I just find it really hard to get excited about this. And I feel bad saying that because there's nothing wrong here. There's nothing bad here. It's just kind of there, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, you know, you dipped into your wrestling bag there. I might dip into my early REM bag for a second and be like, they do remind me a lot of, say, REM during the IRS years, like in the 80s when they were just a college rock band. And they did that kind of propulsive but clever and sensitive and well-written indie rock thing and they had their own groove um but what you got with rem which i think put them over the top was you know michael stipe eventually stopped kind of mumbling writing actual stories he was ready to kind of take on a bigger stage herring seems like he was always there but the difference is that the band around michael stipe decided okay let's not just do the indie rock thing like peter buck was like i'm bored of my guitar i'm going to pick up a mandolin the rest of the band were like let's play each other's instruments let's just try something and you got some weird um in between experimental records but then you got stuff like automatic for the people that is like both you know forward thinking and just truly you know an international phenomenon and it feels like future islands have a lot of talent they it feels like there could be a next level from them 
but it's almost a lack of musical imagination or risk-taking or they just seem really safe uh, on this record and it seems like they're happy just to say stay within this sound and you know there you know you can I have a lot of respect for bands that have one really great idea and just kind of dedicate themselves to refining that big idea over and over again. But I think Future Island's kind of perfected it uh, on a number of tracks. And, you know, you're getting a few additions to, as you say, the Future Island's playlist here, but nothing more. I mean, you know, Letterman was like, I'll take all of that you got. And I still will take all of that you got because I love this kind of sound. But for new listeners, there's nothing really new on the menu. That'd be probably a six for me. Yeah, listen, I mean, like, Samuel T. Herring remains a unique character in this world. He remains someone who should be commended for his commitment to singing so willingly and honestly and nakedly about his discomfort. But this is very much an act in their comfort zone, and it's a six from me as well. Next week on No Encore, Craig, how do you feel about indulging me and reviewing the new album from Annie, Norwegian pop sensation, her first new album in 11 years? It's out now as the podcast is dropping. (laughs) Can we do it next week? We can do it. Yeah, it's been long enough that I think it warrants it. Let's dive into Annie's new record. I don't even know. I don't even know what else is out. So I'm hyped for this for sure. Well, if Ariana um, drops, okay. but yeah, let's let's say Annie. Okay, Annie Dark Hearts. Uh, maybe that'll even be next week's playlist. I might put together an Annie primer for people. There's not that much to pick from, but I want to give you the essentials. So that'll be on patreon.com slash no encore during the week. In the other listening corner, I've been listening to a lot of music, Craig. It's one of those weeks um, from albums to singles. What do you want first? Pick one. I'll give you it. I'll give you whatever you want. Uh, singles, please, Dave. <laughs> okay. <laughs> in Dave's singles corner, um, there's a new track from A.S. Fanning, uh, Irish singer-songwriter in a Nick Cave and Horrors mold. And it's called You Should Go Mad, and it's got that kind of carnival, you know, dark theatricality to it, which I enjoyed. It's been kind of bopping around my brain. Speaking of dark theatricality, Jacob Bannon of Converge fame has uh, resurrected an old side project called Blood from the Soul, he really knows how to title these things. And they've got a track called Debris of Dreams, which I've oh, enjoyed. Nice. But um, I guess the ones that have really jumped out for me this week, uh, Porches, who had a song last year called Goodbye, or in the last couple of years called Goodbye, that I absolutely adored. Um, I think the guy behind Porches put out a record at the start of the year, which I somehow missed, but a track happened along this week called I Missed That. And it's a really, really beautiful sub-three-minute, you know, wounded synth pop song. Not in the future Islands vein, but more in the kind of... Slightly more hipster vein, which speaks to me, of course. Okay. And on that note as well, Big Rostam. Rostam is back with a new track called Unfold You, which, uh, you know, it's typical Rostam. Like, it's very much a melange of innovative multi-instrumentalism and uh, just, a, just a sad man. Yeah, just a sad man. <laughs> just a sad Aww. man saying sad things. Uh, I'll rattle through my albums really quick. A couple of anniversaries, 20-year anniversaries, Linkin Park, Hybrid Theory. I might revisit that this weekend for all time's sake. Some tunes on that one. You really should. There are tunes on that one. As a matter of fact, um, the 20th anniversary edition, which is on Spotify now, is 80 songs long. Wait, what? (laughs) Because it's like, it's all kinds of odds and ends and live versions and b-sides and outtakes and stuff and there might be a slight remastering of the original record but it's been fun to kind of see a lot of articles go up you know and like in in, in places that ordinarily would turn their noses up at lincoln park and saying stuff like oh these guys did have something because they fucking did that album was very important to me back in 2000 it really really was one of the big ones i think it holds up i think it deserves more respect than it gets maybe it's finally getting that now but even going back to it craig for just a surface listen this week i really did feel good i really did feel like yeah, this is this is important. And I think that like, you know, for all the 
you know, new metal manufacturing or whatever. Like, I don't care. I care that it's a good album, and it is. Uh, on the other end of the scale, 20 years as well, of uh, Godspeed, You Black Emperors, Lift Your Skinny Fists Like Antennas to Heaven, which is an amazing four-track. <laughs> Each track is like 20 minutes long. <laughs> uh, astounding post-rock, like, canon classic that everyone should check out. More in the Linkin Park vein slightly. Um, there's a band called Touche Amore, who I'd never heard of before. They've just dropped their fifth album. It's called Lament. They're a post-hardcore outfit produced by Ross Robinson, he of Slipknot back in the day and lots of others. And uh, yeah, it's that kind of proper emo angsty stuff that I would have listened to in the mid-2000s coming back to Roost in 2020, and I'm all about it. I really enjoyed it. And finally, um, I said I wasn't going to say who our next one for track by track was this Wednesday, but I guess I have to now. It's Paddy Hanna. Paddy Hanna's back with a new album. It's called, it's it's our boy. The album's called The Hill. Follows on from 2018's Frankly I Mutate. Anyone who doesn't know, Paddy should take the time. And take the time with this album, actually, you know, take a gamble on it, because it's a very, very abstract record. The first time I heard it, I was like, I don't know if this works. This feels a bit too opaque for me. Like one of the songs, for example, is basically like a five and a half minute journal entry. But only Paddy can get away with this kind of thing. And he absolutely does. It's a fascinating album. It's out now as well as of this podcast dropping. I highly encourage you to listen to it ahead of Wednesday's track by track episode, which we recorded last Monday, once again, in safe circumstances. So don't be worried about that. And uh, yeah, it's been a busy week. I'm talking a lot. You take the microphone, please. Yeah, it's been a busy week for me, but not musically. So I was more or less doing a lot of comfort listening, I guess. Um, And also comfort watching. Slightly tied into our um, live performances list coming up. Um, I revisited Stop Making Sense, concert film from Talking Heads, which is just... If you're slightly down in the dumps um, on these uh, dark evenings throw on stop making sense the whole thing is on youtube in like great quality and it's just so infectiously joyous and great um and yeah watching it again i watched it on a sunday evening and it cheered up a sunday evening and yeah i was kind of midway through i was like uh, my my kind of um long-held belief that rem are the greatest american rock band of all time talking heads have a shout um so yeah i enjoyed revisiting that in terms of new stuff, um, just today I checked out James Blake's new EP. Uh, he's gone blonde. Not like Frank, just his hair is literally blonde now. Um, it's like 16 minutes long, four tracks. And there's some kind of experimental, old school, nice James Blake stuff in there. Nothing quite up uh, on a par with, you know, if the car beside you moves ahead, which we were like really taken with when that came out. And then Assume Form arrived and it was very much... Um, wannabe wife guy very much in love and nice stuff on it but not as forward thinking as we had hoped the the rest of the tracks on this kind of following that suit like there's a lot of like you don't know what my life was like before you babe um but it's you know immaculately produced and worth 16 minutes of your time a couple of tracks in there that are really nice and that's about it uh speaking of eps i should note i haven't heard it yet so maybe it's terrible but i'm sure it isn't because these guys have got a good run on them at the moment friends of the show tebby rex have just surprised released a brand Sorry. new ep of their own they were teasing a single all week. Turns out it was a big ruse, and in fact, it's a full-fledged EP. Delighted for them. I know they've been working very hard behind the scenes in a difficult year, so go check that out as well and support some good Irish hip-hop while you're at it. So, it's top five time, and I guess to lead us in before Craig gives us a big explanation of how we approach this one this week, why, it's our old friend Samuel T. Herring again. Hey, 
Hey, come on. Hey, thank you very much. Nice going. Yeah, so Future Islands there with a very singular live performance. And that's what we're going for uh, this week. Um, so I guess we were trying to narrow this down to performances you'll likely find on YouTube for a start. Honing in um, maybe on like TV show appearances, online sessions. There was scope for like magic moments and longer gigs. Um, I think that opened up my brain a bit too much. So I steered clear of that, but it's, it's fair game. Um, my thinking was those kind of clips those magical clips I kind of return to with relish and also ones that have some kind of mystique around them or just you know intriguing context so like there was some stormers that missed out in, in my list because I didn't have much to say other than let it play we'll start playing with your number five Dave what was your thinking and give us your first selection my thinking was quite similar to yours yeah I mean like it, like essentially with the five I have selected this week I wasn't actually present for any of them. Like, so it's not like, oh, yeah. Hello, I have incredible. Yeah. I wasn't standing in it like, like in the Olympia Theater with like a mini disc recording microphone or anything. And I'm like, someday on a podcast, I'll get to play this audio. <laughs> um, but there are instances of acts I have seen and experienced what the, the songs can do in that setting. And in other cases, it's a case of like, I saw something, you know, on YouTube one day and it just blew my fucking mind. Yeah. So uh, I, we we very well might approach the, the subject of full concerts or best gigs, worst gigs, you know, down the line. But for this one, much like in the spirit of that Letterman clip you heard there, it's that kind of jazz. So with that in mind, for my number five, right, I'm going to play you the intro to this song and then I'm going to play you the outro to this song. So one after the other. <laughs> yeah. How's your day? How we doing? We doing good? That's good. That's nice. I'm good. Solid, wherever that came from. I'm doing really solid. Doing really solid. Yeah. All right. Banter, banter, banter. I really wanted to have strings for this song because um, this one just means a lot to me off the album. And... We weren't going to be able to travel with strings, so we sent these guys sheet music. And this is actually our first time. We just played it together for the first time like 20 minutes ago, so thank you guys. It's a beautiful thing, man. Music is a beautiful thing. All right. Music is a beautiful thing. (laughs) It's a beautiful thing, baby. It's a beautiful thing. Let me tell you something about music. (laughs) It's beautiful. All right. Yeah, music is a beautiful thing. Um, I think I know who this is. It's um, the late great. Yeah, I want to see. Yeah, I want to see if you could figure it out. Yeah. Um, I'm not too familiar with the performance, but it's got to be the boy Mac Miller, right? It is, in fact, the boy Mac Miller. Cool. Play the rest of it, please. All right, let's do it. Because I don't need to lie no more. Nowadays all I do is shine Take a breath and ease my mind And she don't cry no more She tell me that I get her high Cause the angel's supposed to fly And I ain't asking why no more I know I take it if it's mine Now I'll stay inside the lines It ain't 2009 no more Yeah, I know what's behind that door Okay, I don't need to lie no more Nowadays all I do is shine Take a breath and ease my mind And she don't cry no more. She tell me that I get her high, cause the angel's supposed to fly, and I ain't asking why no more. Oh no, I take it if it's mine, I don't stay inside the lines, it ain't 2009 no more. Yeah, I know what's behind that door. 
Beautiful day. Absolutely gorgeous, yeah. So Mac Miller, the sadly departed Mac Miller. This is from his Tiny Desk concert in 2018. Had to get one of those in there. Prove my hipster cred, <laughs> of course. And the song is 2009, uh, which is a song that I've found to be absolutely haunting and beautiful and uh, quite amazing, especially you know in the time since his passing. It has taken on, I guess, a more solemn meaning, I suppose, for an awful lot of people. Um, NPR, of course, for anyone who's not familiar with the Tiny Desk series, they really are genuinely excellent. Uh, although I was devastated to learn recently that it's a set. I assumed it was like some cool shop. Oh, it's really? A set, man. It's just a built-up yeah. set. There's no. It's not part of a building that's okay. Hmm. If if what someone on Twitter said once is to be believed, is there some then, yeah, story behind the actual desk? Is that like airlifted from somewhere? Is it like does it did it used to belong to someone fancy? Like I don't know, Real Marcus or something like that. Lester Bangs? No, it didn't. <laughs> it's just a tiny desk. You're asking the wrong guy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Everyone from Mac Miller to Run the Jewels to fucking Sesame Street have appeared on Tiny Desk and so many, many more over the years. There's some great performances here and there. Uh, The Mac Miller one instantly upon its release was getting a lot of traction so it was you know it was at the point when he was really starting to kind of burn supernova for a lot of people um in the write-up for this on npr bobby carter said there was a shift in mac miller's boisterous demeanor as he started the third of his three song tiny desk set the first time he performed tracks from his then new album swimming in front of an audience on 2009 he rubbed his chin with clinched eyes looking like a young man who's beginning to crack the code Backed by a piano loop and a string quartet, he reflected on his journeys, peaks and valleys thus far. With nearly a decade under his belt at 26 years of age, these words ring like an artist twice his age. Now, unfortunately, of course, on September the 7th, 2018, Mac Miller was found unresponsive in his house by his personal assistant and he would later pass away. It was ruled as an accidental drug overdose and it sent a lot of shockwaves through the industry. Um... Everyone from, you know, Ariana Grande, who we had a relationship with, to Anderson Pack when we saw him live, paying all kinds of tributes, very affected by the loss of their friend. Mike Miller had built up an awful lot of goodwill amongst people, and people really thought he was uh, on his way to being something quite special, a very prolific yeah, young performer. Um, after he died, it should be noted that, I mean, like, people have gotten together and really kind of kept his spirit alive. I mean, there was an, a posthumous album released this year called Circles, which is definitely worth checking out. Um, but there was a fund set up in his name aiming to support youth arts and community building programs in his memory. There's a charity that has raised over $700,000 um, and that was only a couple of years ago, so I'm sure it's been more since. There's a legacy fund looking to help young musicians with substance abuse issues. But I guess from a critical reception point of view, he really was kind of building it up there and everyone was kind of waiting for his masterpiece. I feel like we might have got that someday. I think that this performance is a masterpiece. I think it is genuinely beautiful. And the reason I included that intro clip there as well was to just give the context of, you know, that kind of nice little anecdotal stuff there, but also just showing his respect for the musicians around him, whether they were local session players or people that he knew very, very well. I can't claim to be a colossal Mac Miller fan. Like, I I like Mm. what I like. I haven't heard every single song. But 2009 hasn't left me. And when I was thinking for this list for, for this week my main kind of response was to go off the dome, really not do too much research, go with what I knew, try and remember what I've loved watching 
and I did disappear away with him into that tiny desk set, real or not. I mean, for that one moment, I guess everything was a bit of a dream. I think it's an incredible song. It's an incredible performance, and I would encourage you to check it out. I'm definitely going to check it out. It's It's been on my radar, obviously. There's a real tra- tranquility to that sound. It reminded me of Tyler's tiny desk set as well. And yeah, he seemed like he was, you know, maybe for the generation slightly below us, um, but he was going to be a massive icon for them and just such a sad passing. Um, so yeah, I'm intrigued. I shall check it out. Okay, for my number five, um, it's going to be a cheerier performance. Um, I'm going to lead the way uh, by introducing the host before the band. Um, I wonder will Mr. David Letterman feature more than once? Um, obviously famous for that Future Island delight. Um, he's been doing that kind of thing for years. This is an instance where Dave's meddling actually creates the amazing performance. Um, And in this little clip of some pre-song banter um, that you're going to listen to now, the front man butts in and there's a bit of jossing, but uh, see if you can figure out who is this and what it relates to. We're going to do their uh, big hit. They were all set to do that. And I said, that's great, uh, but how about something else from the album? And at the last... Yeah, thank you. And at, the, and at the last minute, they were nice enough to change it to my suggestion, which Thanks is... For intervening. Why, you didn't want to do that one, or you would rather have done it? I didn't know what I wanted exactly, but I'm glad to be doing this song, because yeah. I wrote it. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. Uh, Raquel, though. Ah, uh, okay, fine. Uh, <laughs> w- would you like some help with your outfit? <laughs> You're just the guy to give it to me. <laughs> Okay, should I know who this is? The outfit clue is throwing me alone. I feel like it's probably from a more vintage era, and I, yes. I'm not sure I have a clue who this is. Uh, no, it's a, it's, a, it's a difficult one. Um, the hint was maybe in their big hit being uh, a cover. It's a Simon and Garfunkel song. They were going to do Mrs. Robinson. Um, it was a 90s act, and it was this 90s act with a far better song. Yeah, the Lemonheads with It's a Shame About Ray. Um, bands that were never quite grunge, um, more like alt-poppy timelessness. And yeah, Evan Dando being the frontman there that Dave was offering um, satirical tips to. He was in a kind of plush, like wine, um, full-length hoodie, which looked quite fetching, I must say. Um, so I don't know what Dave was on about. But yeah, he kind of rubbed people the wrong way. Um, he became a bit of a chemical dustbin, self-described, I think, and was hanging around with Oasis and just went off the rails. But God, he had such a talent for just like really melodic, amazing songs. And I feel like with this, this was the title track from their biggest album. It's better than the studio version, which is already great. So that was kind of like one of my criteria or that kind of got you onto the shortlist anyway. It's one I will like stick on on YouTube in my pocket, like on my phone, just listening to it as opposed to sticking on the Spotify version. And what I really love about this, aside from Dave getting involved and kind of being ticked off that Evan Dando was like <laughs> grabbing the mic mid-segment, it's Paul Schaefer also gets really involved and... 
that kind of very full sound is like it's kind of three acoustic guitars being added to the mix it's paul schaefer and the rest of his band just jamming along <laughs> and they're just like enjoying it so much and then on the on the chorus where they just drag out the ray they're all just kind of like doing it spontaneously for no real apparent reason and it just becomes this amazing like one note hook and it's yeah it's it's perfect it just works really well it cheered me up just talking about it but um yeah a real example of like clearly that band having like an infectious um effect on the rest of the studio and i feel like if they did this song there were new bands did this on like you know kxbe um like i don't know a couple of years ago they would have been the world would have spun off its axis because it's great old-fashioned indie rock dave <laughs> listen i mean who could possibly follow that incredible pronouncement of passion craig i will say though that like i'm right there with you with regards to the walking around town sometimes with like a youtube yeah, video yeah, going yeah. on your phone <laughs> and you're like holding your phone to the side or you're like you know like depending on what you're watching it might look completely insane you're also like it's like you're basically like advertising your phone to be pilfered if anyone of a nefarious nature is coming up behind you but yeah, that's what you got to do because I'm not signing up for that fucking YouTube premium thing. I'm not doing no, it. You know, neither are you because like now, now that you've been liberated from all <laughs> this red tape credit card nonsense. Um, but yeah, good shout, man. I enjoyed that one. And I'll say this, right? You said earlier on that, you know, you wanted to pick some stuff with, I guess, I guess like more substance than just like, here's a great blast. I wanted one of those in my list. Okay. So at my number four, I've gone for just that. that's shy and retiring scottish wallflowers <laughs> young fathers who of course we love to bits on this show yeah. that song is called toy it's on the jules holland show later with jules holland in 2018 coco sugar was the album at the time if you may recall long-term listeners of the show will know that coco sugar was our album of the year that year and uh, yeah. we love young fathers think they're kind of unstoppable hope we get some new music from them soon one of the most vital acts going but here's one little bit of trivia i suppose which kind of shocked me this was their debut on the show. They'd never been on the show before. On their third album? That seems kind of impossible to me. I mean, yeah, is Jules Holland really that, like, I don't know if they're, they've the finger on the pulse the way they once did. Maybe. Maybe that's being unfair, but I haven't seen Jules in so long that I just immediately think of, like, Hoot Nannies with C6 Steve and, you know, Tom Jones just, <laughs> like, crooning away while Jules just kind of does his thing. And I'm like, yeah, I can see how they could overlook one of the most vital acts in Britain, you know, for a couple of albums. Um, but, yeah, they had to be on eventually. That's kind of shocking, though. I mean, like, I guess Jules has had his moments. I mean, I know one of the suggestions I got this week when I said that I was doing this top five was to go with the At The Drive-In performance on Jules, which is kind of a legendary one. Um, and it was kind of a toss-up between that one and this one. They certainly bring the same amount of frenetic, crazy energy 
But uh, I figured that young fathers were due a shout. Uh, are you, you know, you mentioned that, you know, C6 Steve is a really good example there. But like, do you have any like nice memories of Jules? Not as a person. I assume he hasn't been around to your house or anything. <laughs> he but seems like a per- show. He seems like a really nice dude that is just terrible at interviews or communicating with people full stop, right? Every time he goes over to like the band or someone sitting in the audience and has to chat, it's just like please let this man out of his misery he doesn't want to do this but um yeah i used to watch it like as a teen it was probably a bit of a ritual to check it out particularly at a time when it featured a lot of bands that i was into and there's been some great performances i immediately kind of i don't think there's any no there's none in my list um but i remember yeah the likes of like battles being on it you remember they did atlas um i don't know if it'll crop up but yeah that was kind of mind warping slightly there was always those moments where you were taken off guard by something pretty special um and i love that setup i think that kind of in the round vibe lends itself to that and that those kind of moments my number four uh actually kind of involves jules holland apparently right so this is going back to america this is going back to the late 1980s and a show called night music which was on nbc for like two seasons um which featured like some american jazz musician hosting it but also jules holland apparently he's not involved in this clip whatsoever i didn't see him around about the place but yeah he had some stamp on it this has got a bit of like recency bias for me. Uh, only stumbled upon it this year. The band oh, from the eighties. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It was it was a band that kind of intrigued me for like years because I knew the name. Um, and I had this idea of them as like influential eighties U.S. underground act. Probably assumed they'd be like angry and angular. And this is something else entirely. Check it out. Wow, like a man possessed. What on earth? <laughs> yeah, you looked very bemused uh, checking that out, Dave. Um, that was your introduction, I take it, to Dave Thomas of Perubu. Um, you probably know that name like I did, where it's just like one of those acts. It's probably in that, you know, thousand records you have to listen to. Um, and that was Waiting for Mary on Night Music, as I said. He's, yeah, listener, after this show, maybe check out that clip because you really need to take in the man. He's somewhere between like performance artist like stand-up one-man show separate to his actual band um he's a real firebrand for this kind of great punk energy you also have debbie harry on backing of vocals for like seemingly no other reason than she was just like in new york at the time and like was like oh there's a perubu show and i don't think she was performing herself and you have a lot going on really um like i assumed they were like a kind of they're from ohio i assumed they were like a midwestern talking heads maybe but it's this style of music they called avant garage and just yeah i think dave thomas is singular as hell it feels like a proto um samuel t herring moment uh, almost um and yeah i just love it i love that song immediately like it was a case of youtube auto playing and me just being like oh perubu and 30 seconds in, I was like, what is happening? What is this performance? I love his 
his energy songs great and yeah weird that this would be on like a a proper NBC show back in the 80s um i think philip glass was also there loud and wainwright and just random people hanging around in 80s new york i love it it's great it's a vibe <laughs> it certainly is yeah it's got a very like even like the the saxophone like it just sounds like some kind of like honestly like because craig sent me the video file because i agree with him you have to see this yeah um it looks like a sketch like it almost it looks does. like a parody yeah or i didn't something. know what was it because i think the thing is the song initially starts as that jazzy saxophone thing and it f- almost feels like a cheesy kind of 80s rock song but then when dave thomas takes over he just kind of inverts the whole thing and there's this madcap energy to it and it's like is he joking is he sincere is it performance does he really mean it um and yeah he's he's still going uh the band is still going he's the only constant member he seems like a real kind of deep thinker a bit of a surrealist and just like a captivating dude so uh yeah if they if there's ever live gigs again and they come to dublin at any point i'm gonna check them out fair enough good plan okay so this episode is slowly turning into an ode to charismatic frontmen with a bit of a dangerous edge at number three that is definitely in place for me i would now at this point encourage you to lower your earphones if for some reason you're listening to them full blast and to have a bit of patience this was a very difficult clip to get down in terms of a snippet but i feel like i've just about managed it it's me from the top of the show (laughs) 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 under my garage of course it is the peerless girl band at number three for me with why they hide their bodies under my garage (laughs) yeah i think i said garage in reference to an american band a second ago as well so yeah garage i guess garage uh so it's taken from uh live at vicar street of 2019 which actually recently was put out on beautiful beautiful vinyl that i could you know make look nice in my room but couldn't hear properly um that's Derek Healy there I mean definitely a front man of very yeah. intensity not quite as uh wildly gesticulating as say Samuel T. Herring or Craig's choice in the last one there yeah, but my god vocally does the man commit I mean like this is a cover of a Blawan track, a UK producer. That song came out in 2012. Girlband did a cover of it in 2013 as part of the Quarter Inch Collective's uh, compilation number three, uh, although it would resurface properly on their early years EP, and they got a Bob Gallagher-directed video, a very memorable one, as he tends to do, in 2015. Um they were talking about it with the, uh, with the Quietus um, in 2013 and they were saying like 
it was for that record label it was um whoever was running it 15 favorite bands at the moment in ireland pick a song that was released in the last year we got loads of plays and tweets and stuff one guy said it was hilarious just because of the way dara pronounces garage <laughs> um dara keely said it felt so cool when i sang that but al looked at me and said you're so lame so uh in fairness it ain't lame it's fucking incredible and it's just an amazing song the original is amazing it's the original has this incredibly dark sludgy scary almost kind of aphex twin almost vibe to it girl band of course as they often do with things did a very innovative job and i guess the reason i chose that one in particular was because if you've ever been to a girl band gig you've known all about it i didn't go to this particular show they did two nights in vicar street last year and i wasn't in a very good mental health space at the time and i just found that i couldn't really face it i was like i knew i would regret it and i'd certainly do to a degree but i was like I just don't think I can face it because I think you need to be up it's for a gig. You have to be up for for sure, yeah. Big time, yeah. You need to be very much like ready. And if you go onto YouTube and you look up like any performances of this in particular, uh, there's like a balcony shot video of this and you just see the crowd go fucking apeshit because <laughs> Dara holds off the song. They hold off that kick in for like four minutes of like an eight minute thing. And then once the audience are given permission to go crazy, that's exactly what they do. And it's like for anyone who's ever been in a mosh pit or been to anything like this, you know how it feels. You know that kind of communion of sweaty bodies and just shrieking voices in the night. And girl band do it like a few others. And it's just amazing that like a cover of like this kind of fairly underground to a degree, I suppose, UK techno song. I'm sure anyone who's into techno is probably like, this isn't techno, Dave, what are you talking about? And the answer is, I don't know what I'm talking about. But I do know what I like and I know what I love and I fucking adore girl band. Did you know that there's a terrible, terrible Skrillex version of this song? Oh, Not Jesus, girl band I'm sorry version, I do now. Original. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, in fairness, um, like the guy who like made a blah one in the first place i was reading an interview with him that he did and he was like oh yeah he's like skrillex did a really horrible edm f and uh, edit i remember after that happened waking up and going on twitter and thousands of people atting me uh, saying i've met skrillex before he's a super nice guy i'm nothing against him at all but he definitely brought a level of attention that i wasn't looking for i tried to step back a bit and yada 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 i, I couldn't find out what this guy thinks of the girl band cover i hope he thinks it's good but i don't know girl band are a special band to me for so many so many reasons yeah. um i've had so many near misses with seeing them live i've seen them live and had an incredible time um i've met at least one very important person in my life at a girl band gig i've interviewed them before and you know it's it's it, like i remember interviewing them for the first time and it was a disaster interviewed them a second time it was amazing they've been on this show a couple of times we absolutely adore them <clears throat> um i guess what we're saying is craig the irish times were right they made the best irish album of all time right undisputed it's top five <laughs> for sure <laughs> i adore that album it's a masterpiece and i adore that band great choice okay um when you mentioned a communion of sweaty bodies I was like oh god i miss that <laughs> and speaking of let's go back to my teen self with number three Yeah, before you get going here, Craig, if we could just elaborate on this communion of sweaty bodies and teenage Craig uh, union for just a second. What kind of bacchanal existence did you have? What kind of Brady Snellis character somewhere were you were you, were you enjoying back in your teen years? <laughs> yeah, I was probably thinking more of mosh pits, sadly. Uh, there wasn't very much debauchery um, until I got to college. And even then, it was more just watching debauchery on the internet, I'm sad to say. But uh, a boy can dream, a teenage boy can dream. And yeah, that was, of course... 
the Libertines, um, Can't Stand Me Now, from the Jonathan Ross show. And yeah, I'm going to apologize for the audio fidelity on my clip so far being a little um, dog-eared, I guess. Uh, it will improve. But I, I do prefer this bassy kind of bleeding version to the fantastic original. This is my original because I remember when they did this, I remember anticipating this coming up. Uh, it was a new song, hadn't heard before. And it was at a time when I was mad about the Libertines. And at a time when they were like coming apart at the seams. And they appeared on the show. Um, Pete Doherty looked like he'd put his finger in a plug socket. Um, but he'd probably been doing worse stuff. They were in leather jackets, no tops. Which isn't a look you can really pull off, I've tried it. Um, and you knew something was wrong because Pete and Carl weren't sharing a microphone. Um, so that kind of discord was clear. I think Pete had robbed Carl's flat in the past like 12 months and the band was more or less over this was their last hurrah as the second album came out and i just love it i think it's a brilliantly written song it's like total airing of dirty laundry at a time when they were like the biggest band in britain uh it's really beautifully written it's kind of like a i think pete's described it as like a play for today it's just like um bbc radio kind of play between the two of them and their kind of friendship falling apart and yeah, I loved it. Like at the, I remember recording it onto my mini disc player so I could take it around as it was streaming live. So I had like my face against the TV almost with the fucking thing in and my earphones in. So yeah, that's how into the Libertines I was. Mock away, Dave. I will mock you. That's adorable. <laughs> I really like that memory. We've all done, we've all gone to great lengths uh, at a time of our formative years and as technology itself was developing to capture the things that we love. We talked about it on the ads episode as well, yeah. where like there was certain situations in life where you got a 30 second snippet of something and then you didn't get it again until a week later, unless you recorded it on VHS or something. <laughs> and I've had many, a mini disc nightmare of trying to like take a song off a CD to a mini-disc. It was a different time. It really was. And I know I sound like about 75 years of age now, but like, I'm, I'm glad we went through it. I'm glad we went through those moments. I think it makes you appreciate things all the more when, you, when you're flicking around Spotify, you know, it's just a whole different time. However, I, I, the one thing I will mock is Libertines. I just don't get it. I never will. <laughs> I don't understand it. Really? Yeah, such a good band. I think they're almost underrated at this point because they were so big for a certain type of fan and a certain time. They have some great songs. They get lumped in with the bands they inspired who were uninspired and um, very meat and potatoes, but they had a poetry to them um, and they were exciting at the time. Uh, nearly as exciting as the bands that <laughs> Jonathan Ross trailed before they performed going, next week we'll have... Um, uh, heart throbs busted lock up your teenage daughters was their performance better we'll never know <laughs> i didn't check dave what you got <laughs> okay uh number two for me uh it's september it's 2012 seth mcfarlane is hosting saturday night live sounds like must miss television to me <laughs> and yes
a performance so absolutely joyful and transcendent that not even John Mayer basically <laughs> having sex with his own guitar can bring down say. it is of course that man <laughs> it's that man Frank Ocean and Pyramids um, he performed two songs that night Pyramids and Thinking About You you could pick either one of them really it's just such an incredible thing um, Frank doesn't normally do this kind of thing and certainly hasn't in the intervening eight years he's kind of <laughs> doing do, like the second half this of kind Pyramids of here as well <laughs> yeah, I don't normally do this kind with John Mayer no less <laughs> I mean, John Mayer, like, kind of almost, almost, and I mean almost, steals the show here with his Lethal Weapon guitar. And mm. as Frank goes off to play the arcade, I think he's playing Space Invaders on an arcade yeah. machine for the remainder of the song. Um, it's just incredible. There's just something unbelievable about this. I, I was stopped in my tracks. I was frozen in time when I saw it. Also, I just want to note real quick that there's a there's a very large, scary-looking car across the street making lots of scary-looking car noises. So I'm hoping that's not seeping into the recording. I've been very distracted by it for the last five minutes. It's like something out of a fucking Stephen King novel. What kind of scary so, you know, car noises? I don't know just like it's revving its engine or something like in my direction it's got lights on as well maybe whoever's driving it knows I'm doing a podcast but it's just kind of unnerving especially now like where are you going mate yeah. <laughs> like do you just need to get out of the house <laughs> anyway you know we can all get out of the house to some degree when it comes to the music of Frank Ocean he is the patron saint of this show I'm very happy that Dahi is editing this episode because he rolls his eyes to heaven every time we talk about Frank he Ocean. Because me and you were just like, oh, Frank. <laughs> oh, Frank. <laughs> it's very swoonsome. But this is amazing. I've gone back to this quite often and um, I couldn't find like a really good version of it online. There was just some kind of, you know, 240p or whatever. But I found some dude on Reddit who has uploaded both takes in glorious 1080p and I downloaded the fuck out of those so now they're mine forever much like the music of Frank Ocean we can all have it together (laughs) for the rest of our days we can yeah and I will say um, this is kind of sacrilege but some of Frank's stuff online where he performs live can be slightly hit and miss just in terms of vocals and stuff but um, this is probably the best the best quality thing he's delivered on SNL and yeah John Mayer really delivers I did say on a recent episode that um <laughs> no he can like do all the tasteful um guitar soloing he wants over great frank ocean songs but your body is a wonderland is still one of the least sexy songs of all time oh i fully agree it's a <laughs> disgrace but i should also say that um i was looking for some of the uh i guess some of the literature that would have documented some of these moments and uh, mtv's website uh did it did one of those five things we learned from frank ocean's performance like it was a football match okay so i went back to that one yeah, it's like he needs to start in the left wing or something. I don't know. So I went back to that one. And uh, the five things that they that they took away from these two performances, Craig, were as follows. Uh, number one, Mayan-inspired fashion is in. It says, young Frank Ocean is never seen without his now trademark headband. But for his SNL turn, he added a flamboyant Mayan motif sweater. Fall fashion. Number two, <laughs> retro video games are timeless. Uh, of course, mentioning... Oh, sorry, it's a Miss Pac-Man machine he was playing, apparently, in mm. the Space Invaders game, so I'm wrong. Fair play to them. Uh, they refer to the Frank Ocean windmill dance, which sounds like something you'd see at a football game, I suppose. Uh, they say Frank likes to affect a solemn air on the stage, largely standing roof to the spot, letting his vocals convey a song's emotion. But after around a minute and a half of strip club owed pyramids, he aired what we'd like to think is the start of a Frank Ocean dance. Arms flailed out and rotated like a particularly funky windmill. I really hope that this writer was fired immediately upon uh, filing this copy. Number four, he has an excellent cry face. And number five... Is John Mayer his new BFF? Oh my god. It says here, after allowing John Mayer to take the reins for an extended guitar solo during Pyramids, with Mayer also having featured on Channel Orange album cut White, are the signs moving towards some sort of a full-length Frank and John collaboration? The Smart Money says it'll be a Christmas album. (laughs) The Smart Money? Really? 
Yeah, I don't know about that. I do think Frank Ocean playing Miss Pac-Man on stage, like the logical end point of that is logic spending like a princely sum on uh, Pokemon cards. So uh, he's a lot to answer for us, Frank. But yeah, we we do love him. Okay. In second place for me, um, it's a divisive front man this time with what he calls uh, a bit of a latte sip and jam, which might be the reason he's, he's so divisive. He says stuff like that. But I think this is just undeniable, Dave. Jesus Christ, girl. What are people going to think When I show up to one of several Yeah, Father John Misty. Um, incredible, incredible performance there. Um, I love it. Hollywood Forever Cemetery Sings. And um, KEXP. Uh, a big shout out as well to the audio engineer at KEXP who just goes above and beyond constantly. Kevin Suggs was on duty this time and it's just, it sounds so damn good. So much more powerful than the original. I think this is the prime um, Father John Misty performance this is this is uh, okay i i know i slag off jim morrison quite a lot on this podcast and i read the book and i was like okay he seems like a bit of a rock god and um then i listened to the doors and i was like this is not good whatsoever this is kind of what i imagined jim morrison was going to be like do you know what i mean it's got that kind of shamanic thing just when the the band break down and he's just howling it works so well for me i wish he did more of this kind of hard rock rock stuff i i love that band he had at the time which he since changed um i'm a fan of a lot of his stuff um i think he's a great lyricist i love when he's on the piano but just give me the rockers with father john misty Give me the rockers. <laughs> Incredible. Well, <laughs> Craig Patrick's Radio Nova two-hour jam. Uh, before I get going here, I just want to note, again, this really is the episode of episodes in terms of just, like, everything conspiring against us. Uh, the heating has come on in my house in the last few minutes, and it's making very aggressive sounds of its own. Oh. I feel like I'm in, like, the hull of a ship. I assume that none of this will be picked up on, 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 on mic. I'm sure we'll be fine. Some I probably am just going through. be good, though, I think, now. Yeah, some kind of manic episode. My laptop is also like starting to overheat. It's all happening, but we're going to keep going to the bitter fucking end. And I'll say this, Craig, a lot of backlash these days against old Father John. I've seen a lot of negative sentiment on Twitter and elsewhere. Some people seem to have really had their fill of this troubadour. I've certainly gone off him, I think, in terms of he hasn't really impressed me since pure comedy. An album I did love, but I just, I've kind of fallen out of step with him. I wonder if he's got the Future Islands problem as well of just kind of slightly regurgitating things. Yeah, it'll be interesting where he goes next. I did um, like the last album quite a bit, God's Favourite Customer. It uh, didn't work for some people. He did try some of these kind of the rockers on it and it, it felt a bit quaint and mannered. Um, yeah, I just love when he kind of lets loose. This was, you know, Fearful and Era 2012. The album had just come out and he's like a man possessed. He's got the legalised LSD shirt on and um that's how i'll remember him if he never releases anything great again but uh what a memory dave (laughs) 
That's totally fair. I've seen the man live. It was very enjoyable. He is very charismatic yeah, on he's stage. Great. Knows how to play with an audience's emotions. Uh, and on occasion, he will he'll dip into a strange cover or two. You've actually perfectly set me up for my number one You're because welcome. it was always it was always going to be this. Uh, this is an important one for me though because it was it was seeing this on BBC Two one night on their festival coverage of a certain festival that year that made me go, huh. Okay. Maybe I've got this band wrong. Maybe there's more to them. I thought you the were, rest, as they say, Craig. I thought you were going. I thought you were going to go for a disturbed sound of silence. <laughs> Sorry. Oh no! I mean, like, it, it, listen. If I did, I would, but I did not, so I won't. Okay. Instead, it's these fine young gentlemen. Closing out a 16-song set at Reading in Leeds 2007. That is, of course, Trent Reznor fronting Nine Inch Nails and their iconic Hurt. A song we've talked about quite a bit on this show. We won't get into the back and forth of who did it better, Johnny Cash, etc. But I will say that it is a song that I think is absolutely incredibly moving. I think the last set of lyrics, they really, really do an awful lot for me and for an awful lot of other people as well. Uh, I think you can take a lot from it if you are someone who kind of struggles with whatever it is you struggle with in life. There's something incredibly poetic about what Trent did with that song and what Johnny Cash did, of course, himself many, many years later. Uh, So essentially... Like I say, I'm flicking through the channels. It's festival coverage. Um, I'd kind of written off Nine Inch Nails as an act I didn't think I would ever like. Uh, I was all about the Johnny Cash cover. I even like championed it over the Nine Inch Nails thing, which I was like, ah, it's just too gloomy. You've always been a little bit country, though, Dave. I mean, listen, you know, what can I say? I'm from Louth. So here's <laughs> the thing. Ultimately, um, this is just spellbinding. I think, you know, the mixture of, you know, solo piano and Reznor on vocal and the crowd shushing for him and then rising with him the drums coming up in the mix the fucking crashing outro there's something insanely communal and uniting in it it's fucking incredible Uh, The Guardian were less impressed however they wrote a little kind of pithy review of their own uh, they said that the veteran industrial rockers sound slightly out of place on a stage that just that has just hosted younger whippersnappers like Fallout Boy. <laughs> Still, Trent Reznor has built a career on alienation, and after a sluggish start, he 
gradually turns the incongruity to his advantage. The world never gave me a chance, he rages, which after millions of record sales is not entirely true. Later on, they note that the crowd reaction was extremely quiet until some fabulous cathode ray visuals coincided with the hits. It was as if no one could believe a man could be this miserable and furious on such a lovely day. Um, <laughs> unfair, I would say. <laughs> well written, but unfair. Lovely day. Um, lovely day. <laughs> I'd love good. them to cover that but no like I say I don't know I, I don't know how it is for you but for me uh, watching a live performance on television particularly at a festival it almost never transcends yeah. you almost never feel like you're there like you're in the moment but I'm telling you man I remember where I was I was in my parents living room I sat there transfixed at like whatever it was half 11 on a Sunday night or something and it just blew me away and it made me uh, look up Nine Inch Nails properly it made me go onto YouTube which was then a thing and like look up different versions of Hurt look up other stuff and then from there I did what I almost never do I got into a huge back catalogue from an act where I you know, would have felt not, kind of normally overwhelmed by the amount of music available to me and I just devoured it all and to this day from then pretty much from 2007 onwards Nine Inch Nails are maybe my favourite band certainly in the top five without question I've seen them live twice and I've experienced Hurt Live it is incredible it's a fabulous fucking moment and it is amazing I think it's one of those ones where like even people who are like well I'm not into that but that's pretty good and it is a, it is that rare rare moment where the television screen was in fact uh, the front row it was amazing yeah it, it's interesting because as you say so often with those those big live shows something is lacking but with this, clearly, as you said, the crowd actually adds something communal to it. And yeah, you had that cliched festival thing of like really getting into a band without being at the festival. So yeah, it's a beautiful moment. Um, and I st- it's a band I still have to properly get into. But um, I respect them, of course. But I will say for my number one, I see your industrial beats, sir. And I raise you some <laughs> industrial beats. <laughs> You know, I've always wanted to do this, Craig, so I'm going to do it. Live from New York, it's Saturday night! Uncanny, yeah. Um, Introduced by Ben Affleck, um, who couldn't look more stiff if he'd been in his Batman costume. Didn't look like he wanted to be there. Um, Kanye very much wanted to be there doing Black Skinhead. Uh, Introducing a very different kind of superhero, I guess, and just unleashing fury and stopped me in my tracks when he first did it i think this was the last example of um focused kanye rage and um focused kanye turning the mainstream on its head and saturday night live yeah just um it did feel weirdly subversive at a time uh even if it is like seven years ago now when it felt like that thing didn't really happen anymore and you've got the kind of the beautiful people stomp it's like glam gone wrong or maybe it's probably glam gone right and uh yeah i remember mike dean saying this was almost left off yeezus because it sounded too much like a soccer song and it is a weird huge anthem like instantly just totally on board with it uh <laughs> he's singing about leather black jeans and politics and the human condition and 
introducing a whole new vibe aesthetic this was around about the time when he was beaming his image on buildings across the world including dublin I remember being in town and checking that out with my mates being super hyped about it all <laughs> and yeah i loved this era of kanye it was great it was so it controlled laser focus energy and rage yeah i second it all man i i said before maybe possibly that like when i first heard Jesus um i this was also the album that kind of properly made me go oh yeah hang on all that like nonsense i've been doing about like writing this guy off for no reason is complete nonsense i need to cop on because i remember very specifically throwing on Jesus, and this was like it's a lovely follow-up to the nine snail stuff because i was so in that mode yeah so on psych comes on and i'm like hang on a minute what's he gone and done and then black skinhead <laughs> comes on next and i remember like just i remember downloading it really late so it was like one in the morning i was in bed at a shit mp3 player and i just kept hitting repeat and i was i, I must have listened to black skinhead without continuing on with the album for a good hour like it was just like i can't stop listening to this this is unbelievable and i know some people think Jesus is a is, is a bit of a mess and it certainly is he was writing the lyrics in the, in the studio i believe um you know but i think it's got incredible power as amazing as black skinhead is new slaves might be even better uh which i believe he also performed but again it was that thing of like even during those performances the lyrics aren't finished uh the song isn't finished but his ferocity and the visuals like the fucking the backdrop the red so dystopian so genuinely dangerous again for a show like snl something a bit different and i want that version of kanye back please i'd really really like that to happen. i know was it was his next snl performance featuring Lil pump where he's dressed as the sparkling water i feel like that was the the next time he was on that show which is just like what happened in five or six years <laughs> where did he do ultra light beam remember when he was like albums out now go get it maybe was that, that was SNL. maybe it was hopefully it was um, <laughs> but yeah we'll give him that one we'll give him craig's benefit of the doubt the new segment that we teased last week he will always to my detriment in. kanye will always get craig's benefit of the doubt <laughs> and on that note dear listener that's our top five for this week this episode of no encore was produced by sonic architect dahio droney who's Yay. back in the house for one week only and we love him to bits um i think we recovered there craig i think we managed to steer the ship by the end of the show yeah that's you know, what we do here at no encore you've been a tonic um, as a matter Dave, of fact a tonic <laughs> <laughs> I, a sparkling tonic of course as always uh, you mentioned there real quick offhandedly that you've still yet to get into Nine Inch Nails which I find unacceptable so what I'm going to do Craig for you and for the Patreon listeners in addition to the teased Annie playlist that I will put out into the world I'm going to also give you a Nine Inch Nails playlist during okay. the week I need one so you're getting two playlists over on patreon.com slash no encore in the days to come we've got a lot more coming uh, I think we're going to have a new no popcorn episode next week we will have another track by track album with uh, Patty Hannah of course talking about the hill which is out now we'll be back next week as well reviewing the new album from annie and a whole lot more besides it's all happening over at no encore which is this show that you're listening to right now <laughs> say good night craig good night craig good night craig this podcast is part of the headstuff podcast network Introducing Peacock, the new free streaming service from NBC Universal. It's hit movies, current shows, live sports, trending bits, and timeless hits. And that's why you can't not watch. Peacock, watch for free, upgrade for more. Stream now at PeacockTV.com. Law and Order SVU streaming now. 
Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hi, this is Paige from Giggly Squad, and I want to talk to you about Splash Refresher and my water intake. Okay, so you guys obviously know that I'm a hydrated girly, but sometimes when you drink that much water, it starts to just taste bland, and you're just like, I need something to spice it up. That's why I love Splash Refresher. It has zero sugar, zero calories, and it's a splash of sweetness. And they come in five different flavors. They're so good. Wild berry, acai grape, pineapple mango, lemon, and mandarin orange. My favorite is the wild berry because I just I just love a berry. So if you're like me and you're drinking water all day, then try Splash Refresher. It's going to absolutely change your water game and it's good for you. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. The Real Housewives is a guilty pleasure for most, but if you're looking to not feel guilty about that pleasure, tune in to Everything Iconic with me, Danny Pellegrino, where I break down all the messy moments and behind-the-scenes antics of Bravo's popular franchise. And on Everything Iconic, I also interview celebrity guests like Kelly Ripa, Kiki Palmer, Drew Barrymore, Cameron Diaz, and more about their guilty pleasures, their past work, and so much more. So if you're pop culture obsessed and find yourself watching way too much reality TV like me, tune in to Everything Iconic with Danny Pellegrino, wherever you listen to podcasts. ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com.